time looking at an old book. Why on earth do you do that? Well, the reason we do that is that we believe that Jesus was not uh, merely uh, a good man, but here was God come in human flesh. And so that knowing and trusting Jesus is in fact knowing and trusting God. And that's why uh, we give uh, some of our time to kind of get to know who Jesus is through reading this uh, first century eyewitness document. Matthew was kind of an authorized biographer of Jesus, commissioned to uh, share what he'd seen of Jesus' life and what he'd heard Jesus teach. And that's what we've got here today. Uh, So hopefully you've got your Bibles open. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers. And uh, the smaller numbers of the sentences are little verse numbers. And they're there for our reference just to find things a bit more easily. So uh, why don't you follow along with me as I read the first 14 verses of chapter 12. (coughs) At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you, that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Uh, This is the word of God. Keep this open in front of you as we just kind of work through these verses. Now, what I want you to notice with me first off is the deadly danger of religion. The deadly danger of religion. There's no doubt about it that the Pharisees were very religious people. They were very impressive people. And in the first century in Israel, people looked up to them. Uh, They wore special clothes. Uh, They went about and you could often see them praying on the streets. They were people who regularly tithed their income and they gave to the poor. 
they were people who loved their Hebrew scriptures. You would see them going about reciting the Hebrew scriptures. They would seek to memorize it. Uh, these were very impressive people. Uh, they sought to uh, obey the scriptures in a very sort of exacting way. They wanted to know exactly what the Hebrew scriptures, which is the first part of our Bibles, the Old Testament, they wanted to know everything that was in it, and they wanted to know what all the commands were, and they wanted to obey them exactly. And actually, if the, if the Bible was not fully clear about uh, how to obey the commands, they came up with a whole list of extra rules and regulations that would help them to be absolutely sure that they were fulfilling everything that they saw in the scriptures. Very impressive people. And uh, there were lots of rules about the Sabbath. Now, the Jewish people still celebrate the Sabbath. And what is the Sabbath? Well, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, uh, the Scriptures command that they do no work, but they rest. Um, God blessed the Sabbath day, it says, and uh, declared it holy so that one day in every week his people could rest from their labors and enjoy God and enjoy relationship with each other. That's what Sabbath was about. Now, the legal minds of the Pharisees, they wanted to know, well, how can I uh, make sure I know what is work? And so they came up with uh, 39 uh, different categories that they considered to be work that you should not do on the Sabbath. So keen were they to uh, kind of obey the Scriptures. So that's a bit of background. The Pharisees... Very religious, uh, Sabbath day, uh, lots of rules that they had made up to make sure people rested. Now the question is this, is all this religion good or bad? That's the question. Is all this religious activity good or bad? Well, can you picture this scene in Matthew chapter 12, this second scene from verse 9 to 14? It's the Sabbath day. And Jesus is in church, uh, the, the synagogue, where they gathered. And there's a crowd of people there that includes the Pharisees. And there's this man uh, with a deformed and, and, and lifeless hand. Can you imagine being there and witnessing what they saw? Now, I would never dream of going up to somebody who was in a wheelchair and saying to them, Come on, get up, follow me. I would never dream of that. I would never dream of going up to someone with an obvious deformity and, and saying, you know, in front of a crowd of people, uh, show, show me your deformed hand. Stick it out. But that's exactly what Jesus does here. He spoke to this man, as it says in verse 13, stretch out your hands. And so he stretched it out. And it was completely restored, just as sound as his other hands. As he obeyed the command of Jesus, it, the very command in itself seemed to have divine healing power. Uh, that this miraculous thing happened in, in church on that Sunday. Can you imagine being there and witnessing this with your own eyes? What would your reaction be to see such a thing? Amazement? Wonder? 
celebration, congratulations. Would you, would you think those would be in order? But look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. That's a shocking reaction, isn't it? That's a surprising reaction. Why do these religious people go to church, see something uh, obviously supernatural that only God could do, and their response to Jesus is this, we've got to kill him. What a strange response. It's a very ugly response to a beautiful event, isn't it? Uh, Why this reaction? There's something deep and dark going on under the surface of all this religious activity. Surely people are religious because they want to love God and, and want to know how to please God, don't they? Well, not necessarily so, says the Bible. Because here Jesus does something that only God could do. He, um, he brings healing and restoration to this man's hand. And uh, he does it with just words. And how do they respond? Not with humility, not with uh, any sort of right response, but to destroy him. Now, what's motivating this response? What's motivating all this religious activity? That's the question I want to ask. Is all this fasting and praying and, uh, uh, you know, tithing, is it because they loved God? It doesn't seem to be so. It's actually a a way for them to gain something other than loving God. Actually, they rather want to have the love and the praise and the approval of other people. All this religious activity, it seems to me, was done so they could get the, the kudos and the praise of other people who would say, Oh, look at them. They're so pious. They're really special people, aren't they? Look how religious they are. It turns out they wanted to keep all the commandments and observe all the additional rules and regulations somehow to achieve um, their own moral achievements to kind of build um, an impressive monument to how good they were. And so, so somehow earn the respect and the praise of others. And the problem that uh, they face with Jesus is that he keeps showing them how their man-centered religion was all wrong. And you see that in that first incident uh, in the fields when the Pharisees observed the disciples of Jesus uh, who were hungry, going through cornfields, picking some ears of corn, rubbing the husks off, throwing them in to their mouths and chewing as they go. And what what do they say as they see this? Verse 2, look! Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. They're moral policemen and they're coming down hard. This, is, uh, this, this, this thing of taking some ears of corn, that's reaping and rubbing it together. and that, That's harvesting. Uh, they're working on the Sabbath. These, they're doing what's forbidden in their rules to do. Uh, these disciples are lawbreakers and you can only assume that they've got it from their very dodgy uh, teacher Jesus and so they go after Jesus they're condemned and what Jesus does here is he actually shows them from their own Hebrew scriptures uh, three things that they had not understood how they must have hated this they they were students of the scriptures 
And Jesus says, all these scriptures that you say, you know, you recite, you learn, you grow, actually, you really don't understand them. Verse 3, haven't you read what David did, King David, when his companions were hungry? Uh, they took and ate the holy bread that only priests should eat. But of course, nothing in the Bible condemns that. Verse 5, haven't you read in the law, verse 5, that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple are actually offering animal sacrifices? They're doing work on the Sabbath, and they're not condemned. In fact, they're commanded to do that. It seems like the rules for uh, making the temple work in the Old Testament trump the rules of the Sabbath laws. And Jesus says, do you know what? Someone greater than the temple is here. If the temple rules trump those rules, I'm greater than the temple. And Well, we, we haven't got time to think about that, but that's an astonishing that Jesus says. It's an astonishing thing he says about himself. But verse 7 further compounds it. If only you had known the meaning of the scriptures that said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now here's an astonishing thought. You can be a very religious person and do it completely for the wrong reasons. And it's really meaningless. All their outward sacrifices, all their impressive behavior were really not for God after all. But for themselves, it was all an outward show. But what God really desires is an inward reality, a true response of kindness and mercy. But they're so obsessed with their rules and their regulations. They didn't see hungry people. What did they see? They saw sinners, Sabbath breakers, people who deserve to be condemned. And there they are in church. They, they didn't feel compassion for this uh, man with a disability, with his shriveled hand. No, here was an, accuse, an opportunity to accuse and condemn Jesus, to trip him up. There is something deadly about harmful, human, man-centered religion. Man-centered religion that does all these things to think, actually, I'm doing these religious things because I'm earning the approval of God. I'm doing these things so God thinks, gosh, he's kind of special, isn't he? Look at all these things he's doing for me. That's completely man-centered religion that will be utterly harmful and dangerous to others. And, uh, you know, that wrong sort of religion, that dangerous religion, is, is revealed when people act in this way, looking to accuse, looking to condemn. Uh, it's revealed whenever we are effectively saying something like this, look! Look how bad they are. Look how bad they are. Because, of course, what we're saying in reflection is that, look, look how good I am. That's what really is being said, isn't it? Uh, people find lots of subtle ways of saying this, uh, but they, they, they find lots of ways of basically pointing out, hey, you, you, you're that big. Me, oh, I'm that big. We find subtle ways of, of doing this one-upmanship, but we all do it. Now, people are, are chasing their self-salvation in lots of ways. It, it can be done through religion. It can actually be done through politics. It can be done through sports or business or education. But actually, what's really driving people is they want the admiration of others. Uh, they, they want to be glorious. They want to be the center of the universe, and they want others to bow down and worship them. They, they're looking for respect and praise uh, to give their life meaning and purpose. 
there's kind of religious ways at which we do this and irreligious ways we do this. But actually, when it gets challenged at a fundamental level, when someone points out what's really going on, it's a very scary thing. And it must have grated these Pharisees who prided themselves in their knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures to have Jesus challenge their whole framework, their whole identity, by pointing out their ignorance of the Scriptures. Haven't you read? Haven't you read? If only you'd known what the words of Scripture said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so they don't see a beautiful act of, of, of a miraculous recreation. They see somebody who threatens their authority and their position. Someone who's challenging them at such a fundamental level that all they can think about doing on their all they can think about doing, leaving church that Sunday is, how can we kill him? Have you ever left church feeling that? You might have said, I wish the preacher had gone shorter, but surely you've not thought that. But that's what they were thinking as they left church that day. We've got to kill him. I want to warn you about the deadly danger of man-centered religion. Do you know what? All religions are basically saying this. The problem is outside of us, and the answer is inside of us. I can do something. I can achieve something. There's philosophies like that as well, not in religions. But the problems are outside of us, and all the problems are inside of us. And do you know what Christianity says? Do you know what the Lord Jesus had to say? The problem is inside of us. And the only answer comes from outside of us. The greatest failure of all their religion was this. Having studied and observed the scriptures, being so fastidious in obeying its laws, they came and met God come in human flesh. And they said, we've got to kill him. All this religion that was supposed to be worshipping God, when God turns up, they don't recognize him. I was hearing this week about a woman who was visiting the shop in Sandringham and uh, she was going around picking up all the, the mugs of royalty and all the bric-a-brac stuff you could buy in the shop in Sandringham so they can keep the estate propped up. And, uh, and, and, and she bumped into this old lady with a scarf on her head and she said, goodness, you look like the queen. And the queen said, that's very reassuring. But here's the tragedy of religion. You can go about doing all the religious things, going to church regularly, uh, you know, turning up to Bible studies, uh, getting baptized, doing, doing things, you know, singing the hymns, doing the flower rota, doing all the religious stuff, the trappings, and, and being delighted in all of that and completely miss the point. Completely fail to recognize the true and living God and to trust him. That's the utter tragedy here, isn't it? I want to show you in these verses the delight of a relationship with God. I want you to consider this account with this theological lens. Here is God come in human flesh in Jesus Christ. The God who made everything. He's the God who made you. And the God who revealed himself uh, through the Hebrew scriptures and gave the commands there. He comes in the flesh to show us the proper way to understand 
his words and the true purpose of life itself. Do you love the weekends? Do you love the weekends? Whose idea was the weekend? It was God's idea. Have you thought about this? Uh, Right to the beginning of the Bible, after the account of the creation of the world, it says on the seventh day, he, he he took six days to create the world. On the seventh day, he says he rested and blessed it and made it holy. It was God's idea that one in seven, you should have a rest. In the history of Israel, they uh, ended up being enslaved in Egypt, and they got freed out of slavery in Egypt where in, for 400 years, or how many years was it now? Uh, was, was that right? 400? See, off t- dangerous to do stuff off the top of your head, isn't it? But it, for all those years, they worked every day of their life. And when God gathers them to himself at Sinai, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and he gives them this wonderful command. He says, one day in seven, I want you to have a break. Now, do you think that's a burden or a blessing? It's a blessing, isn't it? What a blessing. I want you to rest. Now, I think our modern day society is forgetting this. And so work is keen to have your smartphone on you so that the boss can ring you on Sunday and the boss can send you emails and check you've answered them. It was interesting, this last week, there was a special Sabbath day that the, uh, the, head, of, the head rabbi of... Um, Chief Rabbi of the UK, Ephraim Mervis, called all Jewish people to practice the Sabbath this weekend. And one of his advices to all his Jewish synagogue friends was, switch off your mobile phones on the Sabbath so you can really rest. God gave Sabbath not to be a burden, but as a mercy, to be a blessing. The truth is, not one of us is able to really keep going seven days a week, nonstop, without it becoming very, without us becoming very sick and unhealthy. And God gave the Sabbath not to be a burden, but to be a blessing so that we would enjoy Him, the Creator who gives us all these good things, and that we could enjoy relationship with Him and relationship with each other. And so Jesus points out the hypocrisy to the Pharisees in the synagogue. He says, as they asked Him, is it lawful to, to, to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus reminds them that they were more than happy to take care of a sheep if it's fallen on the ditch on the, on the Sabbath, and that Human beings are much more important than sheep. Therefore, verse 12, it is always lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I think this, what this tells us about God. This is God's heart. God's heart is he delights when we do good. To show mercy and kindness. This is the heart of God, to show grace and mercy and kindness. And uh, we see this exact sort of mercy and compassion uh, on this man with the disability in the synagogue. Just as God created the world by speaking words, Jesus speaks words and this man stretches out his shriveled hand and it becomes completely restored. Just as good and healthy as the other. This is the good creation that God intended for the world. Now we know it's a messed up world today. And the Bible says it's because we've rejected this God. We take all his gifts, but we turn away from him. We're not thankful to him. We reject him. We, we want to do whatever serves ourselves selfishly. We are the people, really, with the shriveled souls, aren't we, who are more prone to condemn others than show compassion. Uh, we are those who chase for meaning and significance by looking to all the things of this world rather than to the God who created it all. 
We're the ones who create our own little religious and philosophical and ethical rules to make ourselves look great and promote ourselves over others. And do you know what? There are Christian ways of doing this as well. Sadly, in Christianity, people are just as prone to forget the main point of this gospel of free grace and try to turn it into a rule-keeping system where I'm sort of earning my way and climbing my own way up to God. And it's clear to everyone that we're hypocrites and it doesn't work. And uh, when we're like that, it shows that we've forgotten the gospel. Here's the great news of the gospel. We could never save ourselves. We could never do it by our own efforts. The problem is inside of us. It is our sinful, rebellious hearts. And that's why God had to come into this world as the man, uh, Jesus Christ, to achieve this salvation for us, to, to, to achieve salvation for the irreligious and for the religious. In his death upon the cross, to pay the price for our sin. That's why Jesus came. So that all who trust him uh, will be forgiven of their sins. Uh, be forgiven of the ugly words and ugly thoughts and ugly actions. To be forgiven and then also he comes to make us brand new on the inside. To make us part of his new creation. And that's why Amy and Ines and uh, Emma and Becky uh, are getting baptized today. Because they've experienced this new creation on the inside. Did you hear their stories? There was a point where they sort of got it and came alive. And they know they're not getting baptized today because they're impressive people. They know they're not impressive people. But they found Jesus to be a wonderful savior. And they know that he's forgiven their sins. He knows that he's beginning to change them from the inside out. And that's why they're getting baptized today. In a sense, what happened in the synagogue that, that Sunday is like a little trailer of the full movie that's coming when uh, God's kingdom comes in its fullness. He's taking the, all that is shriveled and broken and he's making it new. He came to put his power within us. Not to make us religious but to bring us into true, delightful relationship with him. The Sabbath rest comes to us when we trust Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible's open, just look at the verses just before this verses. These are his words just before this account. If you look in chapter 11, verse uh, 28, just a few verses above that paragraph, Lord of the Sabbath. He says this, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's exhausting to try and achieve your own glory especially when you're aware how inglorious you are, come to Christ. Receive the rest that he offers. Receive his forgiveness. Enter into this new creation work. Why don't you do that today? Uh, I think it was Innes who mentioned that this book was very helpful to her, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Uh, we have 10 copies. We're glad to give them away for free. And uh, just if you... If you, if you say you're going to read it, we'll give it to you for free. If we run out, let us know. We'll get you some more.
But maybe that's a good place to start if you've got lots of questions. But maybe, you know, today you, you need to just respond to Christ. You need to come to Christ. Well, just turn to him in prayer today. If you're not sure how to do it, come speak to me. Come speak to one of the pastors here, one of your Christian friends, and they'll help you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we look at the person of Jesus, we see how utterly delightful you are. A God of grace and compassion and mercy. A God of holiness who had to deal with sin. So you sent your Savior to die in our place. We thank you that we can come, uh, not seeking to achieve our own salvation, but merely resting in the finished work of Christ. Oh, Father, would you help us all to see that? to rejoice in it and to live for Christ. We ask that in his precious name. Amen.